For so many modern driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies and then a successful coaching and online course business. But for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. We're here to share an insider's peek into the strategies and mental resilience it takes to create and run six and seven figure online businesses. As women entrepreneurs, only 2% of us will ever earn a million dollars. We've done it ourselves and we're on a mission to help you reach financial independence by chronicling our journey and sharing our proven playbook. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow a business and build a life that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the new podcasts that drop every single Tuesday. Welcome to the And She Spoke podcast. Today's episode is about the $30,000 problem that most of us experience in our business hey, Sandy. at some point. So we are currently teaching Luminaries Live, and we taught something today that I think would be super helpful for all the listeners. And we've kind of stumbled upon an idea that we've seen and witnessed and watched for years. And that is for people or businesses who are stuck at a twenty to $30,000 ceiling and just can't get beyond it. Yes. I think this is a very common problem. And I think for some people, it's a little less like between 10 and 20,000 and 20, yeah. for some mm-hmm. people, like people who can kind of eke out like one to $3,000 a month. If that's like your business revenue level, we hear you. <laughs> it's common to get stuck there. And I think we've kind of, after having this bird's eye view into so many businesses because of the software company that we run, we kind of think we figured something out. Yeah. Here's my theory that I've said a few times, but I'm going to say it again. I think that a lot of online businesses quickly got to twenty to 30000 during the pandemic. Like the, Everybody saw a little jump and it was exciting and oh my god like this is great and it's just going to keep going and then of course it doesn't because the pandemic ended the world kind of normalized and now we have a lot of online entrepreneurs who are kind of bumping a- along doing a lot of work without revenue changing in some cases actually declining and i think that revenue number yeah sure was helped out by covid but i also think like it's relatively easy to reach the revenue one to 3000 a month that you just said with an existing audience, a smaller audience, a few people on social, you know, maybe a, a broad product suite, which we never recommend, but it's just such a common thing that they have all these audience size experience, lots of products, and they make 10 to 30,000 a year. Yeah. And they have some kind of expertise, like assuming you have like some kind of skill or expertise, you can build a side hustle because that's what I would really call most of these businesses, even though 
for some people, that's all they have. I think for a lot of people, these are side hustles. And like to get a side hustle up and running within like 18 months to be at that one to $3,000 per month income level, revenue level, not income, right? Because that's <laughs> expenses in there too, I think is pretty straightforward. And I shared with our Luminaries Live clients this example of my family's candle and apothecary business. And I'm happy to tell that story, Sandy, because I think that this applies beyond the online business world as well. Like I think a lot of crafter businesses are here, like a lot of people who have small like Shopify stores or Etsy shops, uh, a lot of people who are kind of part-time creators on YouTube are at this revenue level. So like this is a very common like side hustle revenue level for people who have a skill set and who try. And I think you can get to this level without being strategic at all. And I have my own personal like anecdote that you and I were talking about that I'm happy to to share here. Yeah. And before you do, I just want to share that our theory that if you are at a revenue ceiling, the thing that you need to do is become way, way, way more strategic and you need to think much differently than you are today. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in the cycle of doing and thinking the same thing and then they just can't figure out why they can't break through that 30K mark. Yeah, so share your story because I think that this example of how you would have to change to go beyond is very, very relevant. Yes. So I will just say that I think the mistake that I made, and then I'll tell the whole story, and the mistake most people make is thinking that you need to incrementally more of what you're already doing to get past that revenue plateau. And that's actually not what, how it works. So I think like we think, oh, I'll just work harder. I'll send more emails. I'll like sell more items. I'll have more SKUs. I'll have a, a larger product suite, like what you're saying. Or like in a crafter business, like I'll show a bit more craft fairs or whatever. Or if I'm a YouTuber, I'll make more videos. Like, and typically that isn't the answer. I'll just dive in. So when my daughter was five, she started asking us to make tea from the Douglas fir trees that would fall in windstorms on our property and quickly realized that there was like this incredible medicinal value to these native plants and trees where we were living. And, you know, I am like a business founder at heart, there is really nothing that lights me up more than starting a new business and being creative in that in the, that early phase. And so I decided to dive in and build a business with and for my kid. And of course, my husband helped as well. I mean, he does a lot of the actual like work of the business, like the making of things. Anyway, we decided to start distilling local plants and trees, turning that essential oil that we were distilling into candles and into body products and into tea, and then making the other wild crafted things. And that first summer, we got a booth at our local farmer's market, and we just sort of showed up with a bunch of stuff that we had like one-off things that we had made, and everything started selling out. Every weekend on our village green started showing up with our little pile of things and our daughter would be in like a dragon costume or like a butterfly or she'd be a little bear with her face painted. And I think that helped. And we just sold everything. And that first summer, we did about $30,000 in revenue, which is, of course, is like top line revenue. It's not accounting for all of the costs and the supplies to make all that stuff. But it was like kind of amazing because it was, it seemed a lot easier to me <laughs> to make that $30,000 that summer. It was just like fun and lighthearted and you know, we poured candles on Friday nights and then we'd show up on the Village Green on Saturday morning and sell out. And I was like, this is like the best business ever. And so we started like, we had major magazines reaching out to us. We started getting booked in like craft fairs and getting selected for things like Renegade Craft and 
um, other big craft fairs. And I just assumed this thing was going to like keep going. And I was like, maybe this is the thing. Like, yeah, we have like a course business and, and software, but like, hey, this is another business that's just as big or could be just as big. And of course, that isn't what happened. And after like the end of the second summer when we didn't make any more money than summer one and the after the end of summer three, when we didn't make any more money than summer one, it became really clear to me that the work involved in actually like getting beyond that 30K threshold, it would be like a full-time job for sure for at least one of us. And it would require like a change in every single system and way we operated. So instead of it being like my family going out and wild crafting and foraging for like rose hips for wild rose bushes, it would be hiring a team of people. And instead of like distilling with our little hand, our little, you know, small copper stills out in our yard on Friday evenings or with like a glass of wine, it would be like investing in commercial distillery equipment. And like all of a sudden it stopped being fun. And the idea of growing that company into a six or seven figure business certainly is still viable. Like we have a huge community of raving fans for those products and especially because they're hard to come by because we only make limited batches of anything. But like it's a very different business as a 30K a year business versus a million dollar business. And ultimately, I decided that did not sound fun to me for my family to do that. The biggest thing is that you can't just keep doing the same and expect to grow. And so, yes, this is a physical product business and there's jars and lids and stuff. So it's a little bit different on the expense side, but I think it's interesting to ask all of you who are frustrated with the revenue that you're at, where can you start to be a little bit more strategic? Like what are you doing that you assume is the thing to do or the way to do it? Because we hear all the time how women are like burning out and it's too hard and it's too much and it's not much money. That's when you got to start thinking differently. I would just say like, this is pretty much a rule in business. Like what it, and we've heard this like with team size and everything, like what it takes to get to X revenue goal or with X team is like a totally different business, like than the next level. I don't think there's really an exception to this unless you're, you know, a service-based business owner or something, and you're just going to try to scale till you get to the point where you have no more time left on your calendar. Like everything that requires you to scale by an order of magnitude is going to be a totally different business. And some of us are running businesses that those sacrifices that it would take or changes that it would take to reach that next order of magnitude up are not businesses that we would want to run. And I think we also need to think about, because if we are coaches and teachers and healers and so on, we often focus on the delivery of the program. And you know we're focused on that. Like if I just get that better or I do a better job, then I'm going to sell more. And, you know, to some degree that may be true, but we need to think about like the front of the store or the front office and the back office where you've got like the public purchasing of the program, the the delivery of it and like interacting with clients. But if you want to grow to six figures or a quarter million or half million or beyond, you also have to think about systems and team in like the back office, like dealing with people who can't log in or you know, need to change their credit card or want to back out or have complaints or whatever. You have to really think of like the public facing and then the back facing. And sometimes we spend like the really, you know, like the real big organizers, 
they like to spend it on the system side and in spreadsheets and in, you know, fixing things and they forget about the back. So you have to really balance that. And you you probably have some tendencies towards one side or the other. But if you want to do six figures and you're at 30, the strategies are going to have to change. The systems that you set up in the company are going to have to change. The way you talk and market about your company are going to have to change. And I really think you have to become that six-figure earner before it actually happens. Otherwise, you'll always be a 30K earner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that the primary offer or only offer maybe also needs to change. And I think that's like the elephant in the room here, which is like for me with my family's like like candle and apothecary business, like there are certain things that were more profitable than others. And those were the things that we like hated making. (laughs) So it's like very pleasurable to make a handful of candles, like with, you know, like a little stainless steel pitcher. It's another thing to have like industrial, like wax warming machines in your house that are running 12 hours a day, which we did that too. We tried. It's awful. Like with wax all over the place and like who wants to manage that, right? So I think that that's the other thing. So often with online products, like especially if you've gotten to where you are because you have like, you know, a decent size Instagram following or email list and you're selling something that's pretty affordable and pretty nice. Like for you to get to that next stage level, say you're at 30K and you want to have 100K in revenue or 200K in revenue, you probably need to sell something more expensive or you need to invest a lot of time and money in growing your audience and or both, right? So like those are huge sacrifices or changes to your business. And I think those are the things where people are like not necessarily wanting to go there because like, well, I got this far with this thing. Like I'm attached to this thing. This is what I want to do. It's like, okay, well, that's a $30,000 business. That's fine. Do you want a $100,000 business? Then like, you've got to think a little differently about what that offer is. Or the other changes is they change the offer in respect to like, if you are service-based or a coach or it's you're something hourly you no longer offer that and you go to group or you have a blend of like some group clients and some one-on-one clients, that's another way you can you can get there so that you're only spending an hour coaching 10 people instead of an hour coaching one person. And obviously the revenue for that hour, hour is significantly different. So sometimes we have to like change the offer so that it is something that is scalable and not taking up your entire life hour by hour. So yeah. I think that's the main lesson. I think that this is hard. It's hard to hear because it's like challenging to have a business. Like we're saying, okay, anybody can get to 10 to 30,000 a year. Not anybody can and most people won't, right? So you already are in a special group if you're an entrepreneur and you're a creator and you're out there showing up every day and every week and making money. Like that's a huge commendable thing if you're there. Like there's so few of us out there really. And so I think it's like a little bit of an ego hit to think like, okay, I made this. Like I've gotten this far on my own with this thing. Like I did it. And and yet I'm still not at my revenue goal. This thing isn't growing at the rate that I want to see it growing at. So it's like, it takes this like, okay, yes, you did it. You're amazing. But if you want to get to that level, it might look totally different. And I think that just really requires some like deep mindset work that like requires confronting that. You're all fired up about your business until you have to go and market it, talk about it, promote it. All of that feels so heavy, hard, and overwhelming. We know that your business will flourish when you become comfortable promoting your work. And for that reason, we created Visible, a program that helps women amplify their voice in a world that tries to keep them quiet. 
build an audience around your body of work and not just your body. So forget everything you've been taught about marketing. Visible is your fastest route to building an audience of raving fans that can turn into paying clients. And side bonus, you can ignore trend alerts on Instagram. Join Visible today at joinvisible.co. Because I think the question is, you know, say you have a, a problem right now today and the way that you decide how to solve that problem, the question is like, what would I do or how would I show up if I was already past that six figure mark? Like, what would I do? Right. Cause we often get, you know, stuck in the same patterns of thinking, but like maybe that six figure earner would say no to this client or fire a client, you know, to make room for more amazing clients, or maybe you would not I don't know, DM a hundred people every day. I don't know. That's kind of a bad example, but like really meticulous work. Like you'd be able to hire somebody who would do that. Or maybe, you know, you're spotty at podcasting and like a six figure earner puts up that podcast every single week. Like what would you do differently if you had that kind of revenue? You probably know. Yeah. I think most people know. I mean, again, just thinking about this example of my own business, my own family's business, like you kind of have to kill the baby. I think that's like a saying. (laughs) It's a probably terrible thing to say. I'm so sorry if I'm offending anyone. But like, I think that that's what it is. Like in my particular case, our candles sell off the shelves. They're a pain in the butt to make. It's a hard thing to make 200 candles at a time. It's not fun at all. It's fun to make three candles. It's not fun to make 200. An example of something that's totally joyful in that business is like somebody's tree falls down and we like, my family goes and like gathers the sap and does a special like distillation of the sap and turns it into like a perfume. And that person who donated the sap gets one for free. And then we sell the like 11 others that were made from that small batch of like 100-year-old sap. You know what I mean? It's like that's the kind of thing that's like the joyful part of the business and it's still like technically profitable like in this like tiny scale, but it's okay, but if we really wanted to grow a million-dollar candle company, we wouldn't do that at all, right? That has to go. That has to get killed. And I think that this thinking is like you may be a coach and you may be like in love with your doing your one-on-one client work, but you cannot grow that business to like a half million or a million dollars because there's just not enough hours in the day for a lot of you. And so like you have to kill like a lot of that work and that that kind of coaching to like go to something more scalable. And that's a decision you have to be 100% on board with to be successful at. But also I had a coach recently say this. It wasn't to me, but it was to somebody else that it is not your, like you spoke a lot about like, it's so fun to make three. It's not fun to make 200. It's not your business's job to entertain you. That is a hobby, 100%, right? And I had another coach say, I'm going to have fun on my holidays. I'm not going to have fun on my marketing, right? So I think the recognition that if if you just, if you are looking for joy and fun in every minute of your business, that is a very small, small business slash hobby. If you want to really to ramp up, there are going to be some painful things to learn and some maybe tasks that aren't so comfortable, like jumping into the back office and figuring out bookkeeping or whatever, right? But you have to do those unfun things to make the money so that you can go have fun elsewhere. I love that, actually, that concept. Yeah, I think that's right. I think maybe that's the difference between like a side hustle and a business. Because like there's lots of side hustles that you can kind of break even or pay for your hobby by selling a little bit. I think that's what a lot of like Etsy is. And I think that's kind of what like a lot of YouTube is, to be honest, is like I think a lot of YouTube is like 
you know, people love making content and they kind of get some brand deals that pay them a little bit of money or they get ad revenue that like, okay, it pays for my camera and it, you know, I get a little spending money or whatever, but it's not like a meaningful contribution to my living expenses. And I think that's okay. It's okay to have side hustles. Like that's fine. Just don't expect that those side hustles are going to sustain you or help you reach these higher revenue goals. Cause that's not fair to those things. Mm -hmm to put that pressure on them. It's almost like you have to go through some negative and learning and discomfort and yuckiness, messiness to get to the next jump. And if you aren't willing to do that, then you will always stay right here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And you have to be willing to sacrifice what you have now for the bigger thing. That's the other big thing. It's like, it's un- that's where a lot of the discomfort comes from is it's like, I have to trade this thing for this other thing that's unknown, this thing that I know that I kind of love, that I made, that's special to me. That people are taking and they're my ride or dies and they like just show up all the time and I can't stop making this thing because of them. Yeah. And they expect me to put four videos a week in there and I can't stop. And they've been- teach live five times a week. Five days. These are common things that we see and hear every day, but that's what you're going to get what you have then. Like, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if you're telling us or telling yourself that you have a bigger goal, then like, don't expect that this thing is going to get you there. And I, you know, honestly, like, I have observed this and felt this for a long time. And I think I've just been personally afraid to say this out loud to people. And, and even it took me a long time to admit it to myself about my side hustle. And, but like once you realize it, it's like, okay, I can just let this thing be what it is and I can love on it and tend to it when I have capacity, but I'm not going to put pressure on it to be something else. It doesn't mean it has to totally, you know, go away, but you kind of have to stop focusing on it as your business. Right. Or telling yourself that you're doing something wrong or that you're not good enough or it's not working because you don't know enough or whatever. You're doing the wrong things. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the point. <laughs> That's great. Okay. That was good to hash out. All right. Joy and hustle. Joy and hustle. Okay. I have the joy. I don't think we've done this joy before, but it's like one of my like ranty joy, Sandy. So it's packed clothing. I think a lot of our listeners probably know about them. Their website is wearepacked.com. I have had the biggest problem with like the athleisure industry my entire life since I learned about it. And since we had the word athleisure added into our lexicon, because I feel like that industry is like toxic, even though it's a lot of like recycled plastics and things getting made into clothing. I think it's super toxic for our bodies. There's a lot of evidence that sweating in like microplastics is a bad idea. And so I think there's this whole like yoga pant culture and you know, like sports bras and all this stuff that's like totally terrible for the planet, terrible to put in your washing machine and have like little pieces of it go in your dryer. It's like terrible. And it's just accepted as normal. So this clothing company is like mostly organic cotton and natural fibers. And they have like really cute athleisure and other clothes. And like, I almost only buy clothes from this place at this point. And so I just feel like I have to recommend it. I should become an affiliate. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to check the Canadian uh, pricing and availability for it's my It's really connection. not that expensive, like honestly. And they have sales all the time. Like for what it is, it is not expensive. It's to Canada. Yeah, they're amazing. I can't believe we haven't talked about this before, but I found them maybe a year, a year and a half ago or something. And like now that's like the only, those are the only Oh, they are I'll cute, buy. Jenny. I'll, I, yeah. And so soft, like everything is soft. So one caveat, I live in the desert now. 
for however long. Which and, you love. You love living oh, in. Oh, I love it. And I get very hot and it's natural materials, which means like nothing wicks any sweat away from anywhere. <laughs> so you just have to like, you know, like maybe you can kind of get away with washing your workout clothes like every other day or something with their, when they're like wicking stuff away. With this, you cannot. You have to wash it. And because it's just cotton, it just absorbs. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's a fair trade-off, I think, for like not putting microplastic toxins into your body every day. Love it. Okay. I've never even heard of them. So thank you for that. So the hustle, I think it's a hustle. I don't know what this is, but it is, I'm on a, a rich roll kick right now. And episode 779 of his, Frances Haugen blowing the whistle on Facebook. She's a whistleblower for Facebook, obviously, who came out about what they were doing, bought the book. She just released a book recently called The Power of One. And I'm not quite finished it, but she took a job at Google in 2006. So she talks like in detail about her career and how it set up the jobs that she had, how it set her up to be, you know, the right whistleblower around Facebook. She had all these skills and she's like reliving all the things that she learned and her mentors. But she talks about Google I'm right now and that's the section that I'm in and how it was like pre-privacy laws and stuff. And it's so interesting what she had to do as a product manager. And Jenny, you would love it. Like it's like day by day what it was like to work for Google back then. And she comes at this whole situation with such kindness and empathy for Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I shared with you, like she's like, he's been CEO since age 19. And she doesn't agree with obviously a lot of things. Otherwise she wouldn't have blown a whistle. But she also has empathy for like his situation of creating something that totally took off a CEO and is head of the board. So he's got all power. He's, you know, grown up literally in a bubble and he's making these decisions in a bubble where everyone is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's never had to fail. He's never had to like do something and have consequences from a decision because everyone just props him up. There's no counterbalance to what he wants to do. It is so interesting even if she wasn't a whistleblower and she's not even in the book that where I'm at, she's not even talking about that yet. Her life as a female, as an engineer in these early startups at the time, it's so good. I just am fascinated. Oh my gosh, I'm so culture. excited. Yeah. Uh-huh. And can you just tell our listeners like the 30,000 foot overview of what she blew the whistle on at Facebook? Yeah. When she first moved over to Facebook, she worked on, I think it was called something like counter culture or something. It's around like political violence and radicalization and that kind of thing. Like what is happening, how people are using that to gather mobs and and so on. I kind of knew this, but I didn't quite understand this. She talks a lot about how in Western cultures like ours, we have the internet and we have Facebook, but we can also go all over the internet and, you know, go to different sources. We don't have to use Facebook. Facebook went to some very poor undeveloped countries and and put Facebook on computers in like a internet cafe and said, hey, if you want to use the internet, you can do so through Facebook and it's free. If you go off Facebook, you're going to have to pay. 
that, right? Which is a lot of what happened in Myanmar and some of those horrific, violent episodes in the world. So she started in that like department and she like just basically screenshot like 30,000 images of internal Facebook documents and with comments as, as they were happening. So she is claiming that Facebook knew that they were inciting violence and they knew that they were spreading false rumors or false, you know, like rumors that would end up and cause violence and people would die. And she actually is saying, if we don't fix this, tens of thousands of people are going to die and they're not acknowledging it all. So anyway, it's just, I love that she's not like this angry, shut them down. She's like, no, don't shut them down. We have to solve the problem. Like there is a good reason in some countries to keep Facebook. And it's a, you know, and she goes on to describe that. So she's not like this angry, cut it off, shut it down. She's like, she has solutions. Like if you listen to this interview with her and Rich, she's actually got some really great solutions about when things like are shared and they just go viral and they're wrong information. She has actual tactical things that Facebook could do to slow that, that will be much more effort on the user, like to copy and paste. Like you can share it twice, but if it's shared more than that, you've got to literally copy and paste and people are going to be less likely to do that. Like actual things would be super easy for Facebook. She's just so smart and so well-spoken. She was like a national debate person. So she's like set up to go in front of the Congress and talk to them because she's so well articulate, you know, and she talks about how that, as I said, all that set her up to be able to do this and do it well. Yeah. I've heard like just small clips of her on in the news in some of these different spaces, but that sounds amazing. I'll have to listen to that interview and definitely read her book. I would love, love, love to have her on our podcast. Yeah, so I can't, we will can't. send the invitation and see what happens. We should, we really should. She also said that Rich Roll asked her, like, is there anything else you want to say? And I think she said basically like, I so appreciate this like long form conversation, which is the beauty of podcasts because everything she's, she went on 60 minutes, um, which would have been longer, but everything else is like 30 second or 60 second sound bites. And she doesn't get to like, you know, say all the things that she wants to say. So I don't know, maybe she, she lives in Puerto Rico, I think. So maybe she'll be up for it. We, we would certainly travel there to interview her. <laughs> If we had to, if we had to go there, just not in hurricane, just not in hurricane season. Yeah. (laughs) So that, I don't know. So again, I don't know if that's a joy or a hustle. It's kind of like understanding the world. So it kind of sits squarely in between. Civic responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have earned the right to like transfer any week, like a joy or a hustle to become a civic responsibility (laughs) or like ethical imperative. (laughs) We use those kind of words, Francis would totally come on our podcast. That's, that's what she's perfect. about. That's, that's perfect. All right. Thank you, Jenny. All right. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> we'll see you folks next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Marvelous. Marvelous helps you build and grow your own courses, memberships, and live streamed programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. If you're looking for a simple, beautiful, custom branded platform to build and grow your online business, you can learn more at heymarvelous.com.